Thank you for streaming Cities After, a radical exploration into the capitalist contradictions of our urban world and the many anti-capitalist futures to come. This is a Politics in Motion broadcast, and I'm your host, Miguel Robles Duran. This episode is part two of two, where I will attempt a deeper dive into the concept of municipalism by examining its contemporary application through some key influences, and a few examples, including projects that I have had the privilege of working on. I am also taking this opportunity to build upon Marx's critiques of Proudhon's mutualism and Murray Bookchin's foundational work on social ecology. And this is to offer a fresh perspective on municipalism's relevance and the contradictions it faces as it seeks to address the complex challenges of our modern era. But most importantly, I will argue for its theoretical and real-world potential for transforming the 21st century towards an anti-capitalist dominance. Please note that episode one is very important because I laid some of the core foundational arguments of municipalism that I think are essential for following this episode. If you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to do so before listening to this episode. I started last episode by defining municipalism as a political ideology with roots in anarchism. That promotes the reconfiguration of the local level of government or the municipality. And this imagined as a self-governing site of political organization and decision-making, where political power is imagined to be concentrated in a multitude of municipal assemblies of ordinary inhabitants that are locally organized under principles of direct democracy and horizontality. While globally, they would be organized through a system of confederations that respect the self-determination and autonomy of these municipal assemblies. However, beyond the influence from the classic anarchism of Proudhon or Bakunin, or the more contemporary Murray Bookchin, that I spoke about in part one, I will move forward to January 1, 1994, and begin to thread this episode's main argument from when the Zapatista movement went public by releasing its declaration against the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA. Apart from sparking the mass anti-globalization and anti-neoliberal struggle, the Zapatistas, with their collectivized living propositions and their political organization, based in indigenous forms of governance and democratic assemblies, also began to arouse the imagination of the many of us that had been working around alternative forms of social and territorial organization to capitalism or against capitalism. 
The Zapatista politics, also called neo-Zapatismo, echoed elements of the political Mayan tradition, of libertarian socialism, of Marxism, of course, and what is more related to the topic of this episode, mutualist anarchism, an influence they chose to emphasize in their famous slogan, Para todos todo, para nosotros nada. For everyone everything, for us nothing. As well, in the inscriptions you will find in a welcome sign as one enters Zapatista territory. En rebeldía, aquí manda el pueblo. El gobierno obedece. In rebellion, here the people rule. The government obeys. In a very short time, the Zapatista communities became a glowing example of municipal autonomy as they showed the world how it was possible to take charge of their own development in various aspects. For example, they established horizontal organizations that support their health, education, and have developed quite sophisticated sustainable agroecological systems without relying on the Mexican government, referred by them as el mal gobierno, or the bad government. In addition to their municipalist autonomy, Zapatista communities have been committed to promoting gender equality in all their territories, and this is definitely a first in the Mexican region, and also have implemented the women's revolutionary law, which has served as a framework to challenge and dismantle patriarchal norms equating the decision power of women within their communities. Furthermore, Zapatistas engage in outreach and political communication to foster international solidarity, share knowledge, and build trade networks and alliances with other like-minded movements. I mention all of these incredible achievements because in many ways, the Zapatistas encapsulate most of the theoretical arguments that contemporary municipalist advocates make. And this is the reason I consider them the ground zero of the contemporary municipalist movement. Further into the 21st century, there are two other major influences in the contemporary development of municipalist thought. First, the writings of the imprisoned leader of the Kurdistan Worker Party, also known as the PKK, Abdullah Ocalan, that have guided the territorial struggle in northern Syria of what is now known better as Rojava. And second, the municipalist politics of the Catalan political party, Barcelona en Común, and their leader, the now ex-mayor Ada Colau, who was in power eight years from 2015 until this year. It is also interesting to mention that both municipalist movements are somehow linked. But before I discuss Barcelona, a city that I have been involved with, with over the last five years or so, let me first touch briefly on Oshalan, the Rojava movement, which by the way, Rojava means West, 
and the now called Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, or AANES. It's really hard to pinpoint when Oshalan's writings became the guiding light for Western Kurdistan. He had long been an important leader before he was imprisoned in 1999. And back then, some referred to him as a Stalinist Marxist and others as a Leninist Marxist. But while imprisoned, he encountered the writings of Murray Bookchin and quickly became an avid follower. In a very short time, Oshalan began to shift his ideological tendencies towards social ecology, uh, which is Bookchin's main theoretical framework for conceptualizing what he called libertarian municipalism. This ideological shift led Oshalan to write what became his most influential text on political theory, the Declaration of Democratic Confederalism in Kurdistan, which was made public in 2005 and later followed by an equally influential four-volume work titled The Manifesto of Democratic Civilization. In this declaration, Oshalan called for an alternative to the traditional nation-state model, emphasizing the establishment of a decentralized governance system in the Kurdish region, with a strong focus on local decision-making through direct democracy and consensus-based processes. Furthermore, he also highlighted the importance of gender equality and women's empowerment and advocated for cultural diversity. And of course, the rights of different ethnic and religious groups, as well as emphasize the significance of ecological sustainability, environmental protection, and sustainable development as integral aspects of a just and equitable society. The following quote from Oshalan's declaration summarizes his vision well. I open quote, democratic confederalism of Kurdistan is not a state system, but a democratic system of the people without a state. With the women and youth at the forefront, it is a system in which all sectors of society will develop their own democratic organizations. It is a politics exercised by free and equal confederated or confederal citizens by electing their own free regional representatives. It is based on the principles of its own strength and expertise. It derives its power from the people and in all areas, including its economy, it will seek self-sufficiency. And I end quote. In an extraordinary demonstration of unity, the Declaration of Democratic Confederalism was swiftly embraced by the PKK shortly after its release. And this led to the organization of covert assemblies in Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. These gatherings culminated in the establishment of the Kurdistan Communities Union and many other political entities that currently control the region. 
But it was only during the early Syrian civil war that an ideal moment emerged for the comprehensive implementation of Oshalan's innovative political doctrine. The Democratic Union Party, known as the PYD, declared autonomy in three cantons with the Rojava region, or within the Rojava region, that provided a platform for the establishment of a distinct political entity that strongly opposed the capitalist nation state. Rojava's unique experiment demonstrated to the world that it was possible to foster a democratic, decentralized, and non-hierarchical society firmly rooted in feminist principles, ecological sustainability, cultural pluralism, cooperative sharing economy concepts, and their participatory politics. Their early success was so remarkable that from 2014 to 2016, you would commonly find front page coverage about Rojava and their municipalist agenda in major Western media outlets, from the Washington Post and the New York Times to The Guardian, El País, and Le Monde, and all in between. And just as the world press was frequently writing about Rojava, Ada Colau became elected as mayor of Barcelona in 2015. Running on a strong pro-municipalist feminist and anti-neoliberal platform with ideas that echoed many of the declarations of the Zapatistas, Oshalan, and of course, Bookchins. By the way, now that I started talking about the West, remember that I had mentioned that Rojava and Barcelona were linked? Well, two years ago, the Catalan parliament was the first in the world to formally recognize the Autonomous Administration of Northeast Syria, or AANES, commonly known as Rojava, as an official political entity. Of course, the municipalist agenda proposed by Ada Colau and her political party, Barcelona in Común, is quite different than the one being practiced in Rojava or in Chiapas by the Zapatistas. But they share essential similarities that I believe helps us understand the core principles of what contemporary municipalist currents are all about. Let me tell you what they are. One, a strong emphasis on democratic and participatory self-determination in local governance. Two, the formation of democratic cooperation alliances for regional and global governance. Three, the development of feminized gender-inclusive politics. Four, the following of a guiding framework for achieving environmental justice. Five, the prioritization of cooperative and solidarity economies. And lastly, six, the empowerment of pluricultural expressions. These six points are by no means the end and be all summary of municipalist principles. But I present them as a helpful way 
of understanding where municipalist movements across the world intersect. From Corporation Jackson in the US state of Mississippi, to the Nagar Rash movement in India, or Avalali Basemyondolo, <laughs> let me try to say it again, Avalali Base Yondolo in South Africa, and the Landless Workers Movement, or MST, in Brazil. All of them follow within their own particularities these six core points. For example, Barcelona in Comum, with the political power of being the democratically elected government, embarked on a series of radical reforms to instate a new office for participatory governance for this specific principle. It pioneered an open source digital platform for democratic decision making called Decidim. This platform allows residents to propose, discuss, and vote on various issues that affect the city at large. And as a parenthesis, I was involved in that project, and I must say that there is nothing quite like it, and I wish more progressive governments would make their own versions of it. Both of these initiatives were, of course, women-led, and so many other spaces in the government were too. On the feminization of politics, the government created diverse programs aimed to achieving gender equality in government leadership and the workplace, including a strong advocacy for affordable childcare and combating of gender-based violence. On the regional and global governance front, Barcelona in Común sponsored and initiated large international network platforms for thinking and developing municipalist power, including the Fearless Cities Conferences and the Cities for Adequate Housing Platform that was inaugurated in New York City during a United Nations summit with an emphatic municipalist declaration of local governments for the right to housing and the right to the city, for which Ada Colau and her successful lobbies, I guess, uh, managed to unite 38 progressive mayors representing 38 cities from all continents, including the cities of Durban, London, Paris, Strasbourg, Berlin, Amsterdam, Bologna, Copenhagen, Asunción, Buenos Aires, Jakarta, Mexico City, Montevideo, Taipei, and Lisbon. I also had the pleasure of being part of this historical event and it was electrifying. I remember having a unique sense of hope for the emergence of a new kind of politics with the power to confront conservative and neo-fascist states. And this point is perhaps the most controversial of municipalist politics within the left. And that is the emphasis on decentralized power structures that target the hierarchical authority of modern states and their clearly demarcated geographic and political boundaries. This is its main anarchist trait, the belief that it is possible to imagine a future where self-determined cities, towns, 
or villages across the globe can form strong enough alliances and corporations and confederations that there won't be a need to have states and, of course, the bureaucratic apparatus that comes with states. I confess that for me, it all sounds amazing. And this is the reason why I believe that municipalist politics provide proto-socialist possibilities of governing ourselves and the planet in a far more just and democratic way. So what did I just say that this is controversial? Well, this controversy is as old as Karl Marx's debates with Joseph Proudhon, which I addressed in episode one, and Mikhail Bakunin. But it took a much more intense ideological and practical dimension during the early days of the Soviet Revolution. In the differences on which Leon Trotsky and Vladimir Lenin theorized the role of the state in forming a communist society. In both perspectives, the state was seen as a necessary vehicle for achieving socialism. However, Trotsky saw it as a transitionary formation that would slowly give power to smaller workers' councils with international alliances called Soviets, who at the end will form the basis of political power. Lenin, on the other hand, focused on the idea of a vanguard political party as a centralized force that would oversee a socialist state in a geographical and politically limited country. And once it was successful, it would help then catalyze the emergence of other socialist states elsewhere. The state for Lenin was a necessary tool of the political party to command the transformation towards socialism. But even though both Trotsky and Lenin's view of the state differed, they both shared the goal of achieving a classless society and, of course, the overthrow of capitalism. And this classless society was going to be consummated in what Marx called communism. And communism would no longer require the temporary or centralized figure of the state. Its abolition would be a natural tendency of a communist society. But until that happened, for Marx, Trotsky, and Lenin, the figure of the state, however their views might differ, was a requirement for achieving socialism and later communism. And this is where the controversy with municipalist politics lies. And of course, within the left. Even though Bookchin might have touted that municipalism was a way out of the deadlock between Marxism and anarchism, I think that municipalism still has a very limited scope, as it has only focused on reconfiguring the local level of government as a site of political organization and decision-making. And by doing so, it has ignored the seizing of the state power 
and has failed to acknowledge in their political strategy the importance that the state plays in rendering and reproducing capitalism at a planetary scale in all its deadly and perverse forms. In part one of municipalism, I quoted the following from Marx's Capital, Volume 3. I open quote, the cooperative factories of the workers themselves are, within the old form, the first examples of the emergence of a new mode of production. And I end quote. Despite its theoretical drawbacks and limited scope, I see contemporary municipalist manifestations in the same light that Marx wrote about cooperatives. I see them as attempts to offer proto-socialist examples within the old form, the existing form, the existent form, but that give us a glimpse of the emergence of a new mode of production. But most importantly, I confess that municipalism has charged my imagination with many possible directions and visions for the slow growth of an international anti-capitalist alliance or alliances that will provide the practice ground for the eco-socialism to come. So, to all the listeners that coincide with Marx, Lenin, and Trotsky on the importance of the state, Please don't be put off by municipalism, and I challenge you to engage more deeply in its ecosystems. I am sure you will be surprised of the many new possibilities that are being created at the local level. And to all the listeners that are fans of Bookshin, the Zapatistas, and Rojava, I challenge you to expand your localized politics into the inner workings of the state and the supranational forces that make decentralized hierarchy possible. I think it can only make your movements stronger. I am convinced that the way forward for anti-capitalist politics is somewhere in between the dynamic relation between these scales and approaches. But now, I want to know what do you think about municipalism and if there is anything important I miss talking about? Please use the comment section in the YouTube channel to start an online conversation about this. I look forward to answering your questions and comments. And of course, if you like my attitude towards anti-capitalist servant questions, please subscribe, recommend us, and give this video a thumbs up. It really helps a lot to get the word out. And for the moment, thank you and until next time.